it really does provide though a different perspective of what someone else might have from a different lens and giving a different context or a different situation. So there were just like some comments and uh, it's interesting to see one person mention something and then because uh, there is this community involvement, you're not the one who's on the hook to respond or it's, you know, you just kind of wait on it and just sit on it, let the feedback simmer and it's just good information to have. And uh, you actually just kind of see the conversation evolve and people continue to contribute and add new perspectives. I guess I never considered that, that if it's out in the open as a community sort of initiative that is led by Shopify, you could let the community continue a conversation without necessarily being the arbiter of decision making in there. You're like, we, we're making this decision and it's open to like interpretation. And then you kind of let people duke it out and then you filter the feedback. That's actually really interesting. What's up, party people? Are you ready for Core Web Vitals? Well, our friends at Raygun can help. These modern performance metrics play an important role in determining the health of your website. That's exactly why Raygun has made them into their real-time user monitoring tools. Now you can see how your Core Web Vitals scores are trending across your entire website in real time and drill into individual pages to focus your efforts on the biggest performance gains. Unlike traditional tools, Raygun surfaces real user data, not synthetic, giving greater insights and control Filter your score by time frame, browser, device, geolocation, whatever matters most to you and your team. And what makes Raygun truly unique is the level of detail they provide so you can take action quickly. Identify and resolve front-end performance issues with full waterfall breakdowns, user session data, instance level, diagnostics of every page request, and a whole lot more. Learn more at raygun.com today and take control of your core web vitals. Plans start at eight bucks a month, again, Regun.com for your free 14-day trial. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Thank you to everyone who took our front-end feud survey. We have plenty of responses now, so it's officially happening live on September 2nd at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern. It's going to be a blast, so join live if you can make it. Once again, September 2nd on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash changelog. Okay, we have a great conversation for you today. Hey, it is party time, y'all. Yes, the sound of those Breakmaster Cylinder Beats means it is time once again for JS Party. I'm Jared, your internet friend, and I'm joined by my internet friend, it's Divya. What's up, Divya? Hey, hey, how's it going? It's going quite well. How are you? Pretty good. Good to be back. Great to have you back. We have a couple of special guests today from Shopify. We have an excellent conversation around open research alternatives to SaaS, CSS, all sorts of goodies. We have Alex and Sam. Guys, welcome to JS Party. Thank you so much for having us. It's really great to be here. Really excited to dive into those topics as well. I feel like, you know, it's not just about us. I feel like this can benefit lots of companies and communities and things. So yeah, excited to be here. Thanks. Yeah, second that. Thanks. You bet. Well, so let's start off by getting to know you two a little bit and your roles at Shopify. Now, I know you work on the Polaris team and there's a design system involved. And I'll give a little bit of the backstory on how I found this and uh, what I think is cool about it, not just replacing SaaS. We're not here to, to diss on that, but just the, the open research and the fact that tooling changes, need changes, and we can all kind of learn these things together and take findings from different people's experiences. But let's start with you, Sam. What's your role at Shopify and how involved are you in this SaaS replacement? project. Yeah. Hi. So I'm Sam. I am a senior front-end developer at Shopify, working on the Polaris team. We've just kicked off this research, uh, looking to kind of find the next evolution for Polaris and just kind of thinking this would be an opportunity to see what else is out there. Um, we've kind of seen these challenges with SaaS, but this was a good pivot point for us to kind of take a step back and, and look at these other alternatives. Very good. Alex, tell us about Polaris, what it is inside of Shopify. Yeah, totally. So yeah, thanks. My name is Alex. I'm a front-end engineering manager at Shopify. So yeah, I spend most of my time working on the Polaris design system. Polaris is sort of, the way that we describe it right now is our sort of like North Star. It's like where we head to, what we want to focus on for design quality across our different experiences. 
It's very focused on our admin product. So the admin product for Shopify is if you're creating a store, um, you obviously will get orders that come in and you'll see them in a big list um, or you'll be managing products that you also see in a big list. When you click on a product, you see a form. All of these little parts of the UI are sort of reusable pieces that we put into our design system Polaris. So when a team creates a text input or a text field or a card or a navigation, we have all of these little pieces that we've constructed with strong opinions on design and that we've sort of centralized in one place. We'll talk a little bit about the evolution of this because I think that sort of focus on this one admin product has also caused us certain pain, but we can get into that in a bit. But um, yeah, very excited to like talk design systems and our research today. Yeah, well, what I think is cool about this, not the research itself, although that's cool as well, but what really interests me is that I had access to this research and these findings. And that's because you've done it all in the open on your GitHub, not issues, although I, t I always call it GitHub issues now, GitHub discussions on the Polaris repo inside of the Shopify org. And so this was something that floated around and people shared it and came across my radar somehow. And I got to read and come along for the ride and, and see what you guys did and decided on and all of that stuff. So I just think this is a really cool trend and I'm wondering whose idea this was, this is how y'all always work. You just, Hey, put, put your stuff out there and just kind of learn in public. Maybe I'll start, but I'd love to hand over to Sam for a few things. Like our team is really focused. And I think before I even joined Shopify I was really focused on building an open source community. So if you look at the Polaris reactory boat today and Shopify's Polaris website, polaris.shopify.com, we've always embraced open source as a platform. We get so many benefits from that where we have uh, third-party developers who are building applications or products for the Shopify ecosystem that can use the tools that we're building and learn from them. But sort of where we're at today is we're thinking of like, how do we make these tools better for the teams internally at Shopify and better for the teams externally? And as we go through this process, we, we want to work in the open and we want to work in the open for many different reasons. Like the things that come to my mind are strong visions for what we have, but then we want to hear peop other people's opinions. Like we currently have some opinions now of what we think we want to replace SaaS with, but we don't just want to replace SaaS and like have an internal conversation with just our team. We'd love to know other people's points or perspectives and opening up these conversations have really helped us um, start some of these, I'd say, learning opportunities with other teams. More recently, we've, we've had a chat with the Spotify design system team around this and sort of learning their, their ins and outs of how they're thinking about design systems and how they're thinking about scaling these things. And just being able to like put that research in a public place and share that with them, I think is a great way for us to just say like, it's there. Like we don't have to have a shared Google document with just their team. We can share it with them and maybe they'll have a meeting with another team like the Atlassian design system team. And they can say, hey, did you see what Shopify is working on? And it's not like we have to constantly update links or anything like that. It's just all in an open place. But Sam, I know there's some other things we were thinking about when we made that open source. Did you want to talk about those as well? Sure. Yeah, I think, again, coming back to just working on the open was kind of a, a strong focus we wanted to to have for this next part of Polaris. We say like in, in Shopify, you know, defaults, we want, we want to be very transparent internally. And so if we knew that we wanted to be transparent or have this available, ultimately public, why not start earlier? Still having that, you know, a big release is nice. We will have a, a good solid release of whatever we do come up with. But um, getting that feedback early on, I think, is really high value, super informative to get not only internal Shopify perspectives, and we only know what we know on the team internally, but hearing from experience and the expertise of others outside of Shopify is just tremendously valuable. I think like some of the things that have already happened from this like open source research in a way, like we've had connections with uh, the vanilla extract team. Like we've had a meeting with them recently and I, I don't know if that would have happened if our research wasn't public. We've also sort of like helped put a spotlight on the vanilla extract product and said like this, like this is something Shopify is investing and exploring. And in putting that spotlight on that product, we hope other people also get excited about it and want to use or experiment or learn about it. And maybe they'll share learnings back with us. The other really like awesome thing that I just didn't realize what happened is we had so many people just jump into those research documents and be like, this is wrong. 
And I love being wrong because it just helps us learn. And it helps us learn that like maybe our understanding of this thing was incorrect or our understanding of this tool could have been wrong. And with this plugin or with this thing in the ecosystem, we could have made a much better um, adjustment or solution. So it's also just great to like open source it, see other people's opinions, learn from other people. We know what we know. And I think like opening that up to the open source community helps us learn the, the gaps that we don't know as well. So that's been a really great experience sort of just exposing our research and, and being vulnerable as well. I think that's the easiest way to describe it is like, this is our understanding. We're going to chuck it out there. And if people disagree with it, that's great because we'll learn from that and we'll make a better product from that for our users and for our teams at Shopify as well. That's awesome. I think it's really cool that you're including a lot of people in the process and decision-making because it sort of allows you to widen and broaden your own search and your own collection of knowledge. But where do you draw the line with regards to... Because there's always this phenomenon, just like too many cooks in the kitchen making decisions. So where's that balance that your team makes with regards to filtering feedback and then making decisions yourself? I think that like at the end of the day, our team needs to make a decision and, and try something. We'll appreciate all the feedback that we'll hear. Like we heard some great feedback about like Tailwind. We heard some great feedback about emotion. It doesn't mean that we're just going to stop doing what we're doing and go and use those other libraries. We still have to have an opinion and try something and give it a go. But it's really great because we're sort of in a really safe environment right now that if we were to fail with a technology, it's not the end of the day and we're still early day prototyping and learning. So it's great to like hear those insights because maybe we'll go back to those tools and go, maybe this would be useful with this plugin or this um, other approach to using it that we didn't think about previously. Like being more honest as well, like Polaris React, our other open source repository, like we have so many issues and so many features um, that people are like constantly asking us to do or constantly asking us to fix. And we don't really have an open roadmap right now or an open way that we're sort of approaching fixing those. And we've been putting a lot of uh, encouragement back into the people in that community to like create pull requests and we'll review them and work with you to like ship these features. But for much bigger things in that ecosystem, it's really hard to change because there are so many layers internally as a company that we've sort of built into these opinions that we've shared that it becomes really difficult to say, if you wanted this in a navigation, we actually have a really strong opinion that that shouldn't be in a navigation and well, in, in our internal products. We can see how that would be valuable in the application that you're building. That becomes a really interesting tension. Um, and I don't think we have a great answer for that right now, to just be honest. Like, I think we're still figuring that out. Like, how do we build the best product for our teams internally as a company so that we can keep scaling and solving the problems that we need to solve? but also like empower the teams externally to build the best applications that they can solve because we would love this system to help not just our teams, but their teams as well. I do think it's interesting, you, you mentioned like too many cooks in the kitchen and just receiving all this feedback and how are we able to kind of, you know, take the bits and pieces that maybe are applicable and then others that might not be. Um, some of the feedback I even saw in some of the early discussions on the uh, alternatives to SaaS, it just kind of, made me think about like not, not everyone has the same context our team does and we're not able to communicate all of our needs in, in, in great detail. So it really does provide though a different perspective of what someone else might have from a different lens and giving a different context or a different situation. So there were just like some comments and uh, it's interesting to see one person mention something and then because uh, there is this community involvement, you're not the one who's on the hook to respond or it's, you know, you just kind of wait on it and just sit on it, let the feedback simmer. And it's just good information to have. And uh, you actually just kind of see the conversation evolve and people continue to contribute and add new perspectives. I guess I never considered that, that if it's out in the open as a community sort of initiative that is led by Shopify, you could let the community continue a conversation <laughs> without necessarily being the arbiter of decision making in there you're like we we're making this decision and it's open to like interpretation and then you kind of let people duke it out and then you filter the feedback that's actually really interesting it's almost like a form of research like we know what we've learned and now we've just like opened up for that platform to say like do you agree do you disagree do you want to have a 50 comment thread discussion around i don't know Tailwind's theming abilities. If that, if you do, that's awesome. And we'll read that anyway, because we're interested in that and we want to learn more. But we don't have to invest ourselves, you know, 100% into those discussions. 
what we want to invest ourselves into is are we making the right decisions for our company and for our uh, external users? And that allows us to like stay a little bit more focused, I would say. I would just add, like, as we kicked off that discussion, we can continue to make progress and experiment and do our own investigations. And just the feedback that comes in later on is kind of like just additional information that kind of helps inform our progress moving forward. So if we do reach either other roadblocks or see other opportunities, that conversation that continues to evolve just kind of helps inform that. So a lot of these discussions tend to be led from your side of things like, oh, we're thinking about replacing SaaS, but is there also an opportunity for like the external users or, oh, I guess I'll talk about external users because internally it's actually easy to raise feedback, but externally are there, is there like an RFC kind of a process where users are like, hey, we're using this particular tool, Polaris, and we want this being added? Is there that process or how exactly do they go about doing that? Yeah, we, we definitely, I would say, uh, it's a lot lighter on the process side right now. Like we don't really see Polaris being as complex as something like React, where it's like, this needs to always be backwards compatible and it has this gigantic community behind it. So it's a lot more lighter. I would say that our current process is open an issue or a pull request and we'll have a conversation with you. We have recently started having discussions. And if anyone wanted to start a discussion around an approach that we were taking, we'd love to like talk with them. But I think that's honestly something that we've got a lot of room to like learn and, and adapt in as well. It's like, how do we engage these like external uh, teams or agencies that are building things with Polaris, understand their problems and, and address them in the system? Like we've heard great feedback from people that they don't want to use React and Polaris is a very React-based design system right now. Either it's that they struggle with like setting up like create react app or they don't know how to deploy these things or maybe they're just more comfortable with different technologies we would love the system to be more agnostic to be able to address those needs but that also requires a lot of work and investment so we're also trying to figure out like what are the best ways to support them without i think also like slowing down our progress because a really good example of this is if someone came and told us we want you to support figma sketch framer React, Android, so like, I don't know what Androids are in with these days, iOS, like all of these different technologies. Say then we added a new component, so we added a new property that changed the size of something. We'd have to do that in each of those technologies. So those changes become, they scale at like an exponential rate every like thing that we have to support. So we do have to be a little bit opinionated and try and guide the community, but we also really want to support them. So. Yeah, back to your question. We don't really have a great process right now, but I think that's something we'd love to explore. The thing I love about this open research is that th you, you touched on it, Alex, when you mentioned that the Vanilla Extract team has been in touch. You you all very well laid out, like, these are the alternatives that we are analyzing. And it allows the people who are involved in those communities, whether they're the maintainers, the creator themselves, or a happy user or a not-so-happy user, to hop in and weigh in. And I just thought it was so cool that, like, for instance, the Mighty Penguin, which is a great handle, by the way, who is the author of Dessert Box, which y'all seem to be using or at least looking at, he hopped in there and he took the opportunity to get some feedback on his API. Like, hey, why don't you like this API? What's hard about it? And have a back and forth with you. So that was awesome. In light of that, did you all promote this discussion did you contact the folks and how did everybody find out about it because a lot of us open up a discussion and you know crickets how did you get attention to this particular effort seven i think you know this story i don't know actually you seem to be the famous one here to, to be able to get the attention so okay <laughs> i know what i know and i know um i think it's may uh, a really awesome design system community builder she has a newsletter and i think she actually picked up on some of our open source work and was watching it and i can't remember the company that may works at but i really appreciate may for doing this but she was going through a similar challenge at her company so she was very interested in seeing our exploration and research and she ended up sharing that in her newsletter and from that newsletter other people saw it and started sharing it i think some of the virality of that tweet or like engagement was also around like Shopify is replacing SaaS. Yeah. And I don't know if that's necessarily entirely true. Like, I think we we are exploring alternatives to SaaS in our design system. And we hope that these front-end opinions that we have as a design system team would scale to the rest of the company. But there's no, like, we're removing SaaS or 
SaaS's terrible vibes here. Like we actually love SaaS at Shopify and we're still using SaaS today in our major products, but we definitely have some concerns with the scale of Shopify and SaaS that we can get into a bit later. But yeah, I think it was just May's newsletter, which was really awesome. But that's like get that visibility. So really appreciated that. As an aside, I don't think we necessarily wanted that visibility just yet. Like we're still uh, experimenting and exploring and our opinions definitely could change over the coming months, but we appreciate it nonetheless because it's been a great learning opportunity. Just put it out there and work in the open and, and really embrace that like culture. Like I think that's something we want to build on our team and scale is just this is how we work and this is how we solve problems. Even if it is a little bit uncomfortable that someone can find it and put it in a newsletter and get more visibility. Like that's a, I think that's a problem we would like to have instead of not have. If I could add on that, that's something I think a lot of people are maybe a little bit hesitant to do is to broadcast work too early. I would certainly think we're at, you know, very early stages in this, this prototyping and experimentation and, and a lot of learnings going on. And so this kind of publicity really um, at least showed myself that getting the community involved and, and having this attention early on is really not too much of a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Again, you could r- arrive into that too many cooks into the kitchen problem, too much early feedback. Certainly have been surprised with how that has not been as much of an issue I would have expected it to be. More and more startups are using Retool to focus their time on their core product. And that's exactly why they launched Retool for Startups. This is a program that gives early stage founders free access to a lot of the software needed for great internal tooling. And Retool has worked with thousands of startups. And the trend line they noticed was technical founders spending tons of time building internal tools. That means at this critical stage, these founders were distracted from their core product. The goal is simple, make it 10 times faster to build the admin panels, CRUD apps, and the dashboards most early stage teams need. And Retool has bundled together a year of free access to Retool with over $160,000 in partner discounts to save you money while building Retool apps with common integrations like AWS, MongoDB, Brex, and Segment. There is so much you can do with Retool. You can use these free credits to build tools that join product and building data into a single customer view, tools that convert manual workflows into fully featured apps for your team, or tools that help non-technical teammates get access to your database to read and write data, analyze, and query. These are just a few examples. Learn more, apply, and join Lightning Demos at retool.com slash startups. Again, retool.com slash startups. I think you spoke some truth when you said some of the interest in this particular discussion is this replacing SaaS. SaaS has been around for a very long time and it's helped a lot of us be more productive for many years. I've never seen a replacing SaaS discussion until I saw this one. So I was kind of like, whoa, replacing SaaS. And then, of course, Shopify, y'all have a big application and business. And so people watch what you do. And take note, because when you adopt things, maybe it's worth looking at. And when you ditch things, maybe it's worth dishing as well. So I think that was one of the reasons why this discussion did gain steam on the interwebs. Tell us about SaaS in more detail, the history of it at the company. Like you said, you're not here to to diss on it or hate on it or anything like that, but you are looking for alternatives. So maybe like some of the warts or some of the things that you hit up against where you decided it would be worth this effort to maybe replace with something else. Yeah, totally. I'll kick off. Like, SaaS has been a phenomenal technology at Shopify for us to scale, you know, design decisions and opinions. And even before I joined Shopify, I worked with the Australian government building a design system there. And we did some, I would say, really advanced things with SaaS. Like, we had functions that would find the closest accessible color. So, if you had a white foreground color and a light pink background color, it would correct that white foreground color to be like a dark pink foreground color. So we had like really advanced functionality and like solutions to things in SaaS. And I think SaaS is an extremely powerful tool for solving design problems at scale. And I think lots of people I would even encourage should still use it today. But SaaS at Shopify, like SaaS has been at Shopify long before I joined. I think that um, I wouldn't be able to tell you the date that it, that it existed, but it exists in our um, legacy, almost like Rails infrastructure, where we have like 
things that were bought, built maybe even like in the first days of Shopify. We have SaaS uh, in our React infrastructure where we just like either use the SaaS files and compile them into CSS or we already have the compiled CSS and use the classes from the SaaS. We have so many applications for it. Um, I think like currently in Polaris React, we have 152 SaaS files. We have 2000 plus SaaS files in our biggest like monolithic repositories. And some of the things that we've really noticed as like a design system team is that we haven't really scaled, I would say, our design opinions in a way that is working with SaaS right now. So some of the things that we've hit up against is we've created a tokens library. Um, this tokens library is almost like a tech agnostic library that we could use in Figma or we could use in HTML or we could use in a mobile application that has like our color values. I think it has a few motion values and things like this, but it doesn't have everything. Like it, it should realistically have our spacing values. It should have a whole list of all of the things that sort of define Shopify's design. So where are these other values? Well, they're kind of spread between lots of different technologies. We have some of these JSON values in our tokens library get converted to CSS variables. Some of them get used as SAS variables and SAS mixins and functions. Some also just get imported into the React code and used that way, which is really bad. But we like lose a lot of control over the sort of how we want to scale those design opinions as we've scaled as a company. Like CSS variables came out like, yeah, let, let, let's use CSS variables. But we never really cleaned up that SAS technical debt. And we never really put those variables all the way back into those tokens libraries. So that's a tension that we have. But I think the things that are more of a tension as a design systems team is that we ship SAS. And in shipping SaaS to our users, they can use our functions, they can use our mixins, they can override our variables. And this becomes really scary, mainly because if we want to go and make a change to something, we don't know what this could affect or this could impact at any time right now. So if we went and said that, um, I don't know, our primary button color is changing from green to purple, and they've got a function which takes that primary button color and maybe lightens it by 20%. And it does this for some very specific reason about this icon on this one page that they actually want to be a dark green. And then we go and replace it. Like we get ourselves into a world of confusion and trouble trying to like update and scale these design decisions. So what we'd love and what SAS doesn't really offer to us right now is a way to like obfuscate or make it really difficult for those consumers to override those things unless they use sort of like our approved methods of overriding them. So that's sort of the direction that we're heading in is we would love to be able to trust these like teams and things to like use the tools in the ways that we encourage. But it's also really easy when those APIs exist or when there's a little workaround that you can use that just like touches on that. Like, why wouldn't you do that? But then the implications of that become so much more when we need to go and change a function or a mix in or a way that we're solving a problem. But Sam, maybe there's some things you want to add. I don't know if I touched on everything. <laughs> No, I think you uh, covered a lot of great points and some that I, I'm really just wanted to touch on, like with how some of the next explorations we have done really do help solve a lot of those problems. So you identified these things. What I like is you very clearly stated your goals of what, what it is that you are looking for, what matters most for Polaris, and then like specific criteria. So when it comes time to go ahead and do the survey, you're not just kind of at the whims of what you feel like or what looks nice. You can create a matrix table and check the boxes and say, does, does it do this? Does it do that? You want to walk us through some of the things that are in that list of goals and why they're important for you? Yeah, I mean, I might kick off, but like just quickly, like shout out to Martin Bjork. Um, he's a developer on our team, uh, creative technologist actually on our team. He sort of sits between design and development. And he actually said like, he was looking at our research and he said, this is confusing. Can we do a matrix table of it? And then he even went and said, let's add user stories, which was awesome. And I think like Aveline and a few other people on our team, maybe Chloe had an idea for like sort of prioritizing these. So it's definitely not our, <laughs> it's a very much a big team effort in like how we came to this table. But some of the things that we have on this table are like zero runtime. Like we, we love when things just work and don't impact our users. And SaaS is a great example of that. Like when I use SaaS, I take the burden as a developer of converting that SaaS to CSS. 
my user gets CSS, they don't have to run anything in their browser to convert that SAS file to CSS. That's awesome. We love how like powerful that is, and that was something that we thought was really important. So in our zero runtime column, we have, you know, as a user, I don't want any additional code or processing time spent for me to see styles. And, you know, we went across these different technologies and we, you know, looked at things like SAS and CSS and we're like, yeah, these are zero runtime. Like you compile the SAS to the CSS, the user gets the CSS file. If you just use CSS, the user just gets the CSS file. And it was a really great way to explore and understand these things. But like some of these things I would say are also our opinions. Like we have, I think we said that some things are not zero runtime, but maybe with some plugins or some different ways of approaching using those solutions, they could become zero runtime. But we really wanted to focus on what does the technology give us today without those things? Because it's really easy to add 30 plugins or write custom code and solve problems for stuff. But as a company like Shopify, maintaining that and scaling that to other teams, that's when it becomes a lot harder or a lot trickier. So we have to be a little bit careful there. But Sam, were there any, any columns you wanted to talk about? I would just say maybe when constructing like a matrix like this, something to be more objective about making this technology choice, just really considering those factors that apply to your company or your your product, your team, uh, design system, et cetera, simply because I mean, we did leverage a lot of other research on CSS library analysis, that very thorough work that other people have done, but just putting it into this matrix you know, within our own context and our own, you know, what we prioritized and, and needed in a solution, I think is is really just something to keep in mind. Divi, are you looking at this matrix? It's awesome. Yeah, it was the way that you evaluated just sort of coming up with like the criteria to some extent as a team. And then did each of you sort of pick a library to then do a spike on and then sort of like from there come together as a team and then talk through the various features? I would say, yeah, that was as, as well summarized. We definitely did truncate the list of libraries to explore pretty short. Um, we did try to diversify across some that were more runtime specific or CSS and JS style components-esque, others that were a little bit more utility-based, you know, like Tailwind. So we kind of tried to get more of a diverse set of libraries to examine. We did not like look at style components and emotion. We kind of bucketed those similar things. Um, they both have their pros and cons, but that was kind of our, our strategy. Uh, but when we did do our analysis, we did put some time forth and and kind of uh, explore them, prototype with them, right? Not just kind of look at their feature list and check it off. We, we really wanted to get like hands-on experience and feeling what the library, how it was to work with, what was the developer experience like? Would this fit into our tooling well? How how easily would this be to adopt at scale? Those kind of questions. Alex, do you have anything? No, just like big plus one. I think um, the only thing I'd add is our team is, our team is growing and getting pretty large and there are people that have worked with these other technologies in other companies or have experience using them as well. And that really helped us like build some opinions quickly because some of these columns would be like, oh yeah, I've used this, I've used this tool before. I, I know what this should do or shouldn't do. Or some of them was like, I don't know if Tailwind does this at all. Like, let's go spend like half a day exploring the ins and outs of this library and, and see if that would accomplish the needs that we have. <laughs> I just noticed that like a lot of these criteria were just like various things that are really important, like zero runtime, like how to override styles and so on. Did Was a consideration also the migration strategy? Because the end goal is that you have a new system, but the in-between transition phase is always the awkward one. So how did you actually think through that part of things? Yeah, I think that's honestly something we're still figuring out. Like we're doing a bit of an adoption plan right now to like say, if this is the output of our system, how would teams consume this and use this with the Shopify tooling and technologies today? We definitely care a lot about that adoption and we're, we're working closely with a few partner teams and that's something that I'm really excited about. Like we've partnered up with a few internal teams. We're going to start experimenting with how does it feel to use these things? Um, is it as you would expect? Are the APIs useful? Or are they hitting roadblocks? And what are those roadblocks? And are they roadblocks that we can get over? Or are they like hard blockers? So we definitely are, I would say, early in that, like understanding the impact of that migration. But we're partnering up with a few teams internally at Shopify to really understand what they need from the system and how these changes could impact that. I would say that like, the things that we're looking at right now have similar processes to the technologies that we were using in the past, like SAS and vanilla extract, even though they're two separate world worlds, they both have a file type that ends up being a CSS file. 
And that is really awesome because it means that that journey that our consumers or teams need to learn hopefully should be a lot more simpler or which should be a lot more straightforward with some guidance and documentation. Like I think that's the other missing piece is we need a lot of documentation and like explanations around why these things were chosen. And that's some of the reason as well for open sourcing this research is it almost is a starting point for us to go and write guidance and documentation. Why did we choose this? How do we expect this to scale? How do we expect you to use this? What changes for me as a front-end developer at Shopify when I have to use this technology? I think that's all hopefully will come out of this. So let me just draw a quick word picture around this matrix that the four of us are looking at, but our listeners definitely not looking at. By the way, we will link it up. It's in the chat. So if you're in the chat, click through on that. If you're not in the chat and you're listening to this in your podcast app, click on the show notes because you want to check out this matrix. In fact, if you steal one thing from this episode, I would just steal this matrix outright and use something similar for your own research. So imagine a list of features are the rows. So we mentioned open source along with a user story, which is a nice to have. Uh, as a consumer of a library, I want to contribute request features, resolve issues and debug in the code. And then the, the different solutions are each column. So you got SAS, CSS, Tailwind, CSS modules, stitches, vanilla extract with sprinkles, and emotion. And so for each of those features, you score each solution on a scale of zero. I'm assuming zero means that it does not fit the bill. One, which is yellow, so I guess it's like kind of good. And then two is green, which means yay, awesome. Maybe you guys can help us understand the color system and the numbering. And then, you know, you, you go down the list and you add them all up and you see what the score is at the bottom. What I like about this before you help us out with the scoring is the features are not just listed out. They're actually broken out into categories. What's essential, what's important, and then what's nice to have. I think that's a great practice for anybody trying to make a decision is to prioritize what really matters, what you're optimizing for. Make your decisions based on that order versus just like a random list of things you want. Yeah, help us out. Zero, one, and two. Are these quantified? Because it seems like they are. Yeah, I can talk a little bit to that. These are our opinions, again, on like, does it do what it says out of, out of the box? And, and the emphasis there, I think, is like out of the box. Like, if it does it, it gets a two. If it does it, but it needs a lot of configuration, or it's a lot of technical debt to maintain, or it could be a pain for us to like maintain or consume, then it's a one. So I think like a great example that I can think of is like autocomplete in Tailwind. Like for me to get autocomplete in Tailwind, I have to ex install a VS Code extension. So for me, having to then go and document that to our users, if we did use a solution like Tailwind, like, oh, you should use this plugin to like, that's an extra step every user of our design system would have to take to get that autocomplete functionality. So I would score that a one because out of the box, you don't get that functionality. But it exists. And then a zero is just, yeah, unfortunately, this feature doesn't exist. And again, that's our understanding of it. We could be wrong. And I'd love to learn as well if people are looking at this matrix and they disagree. Like, feel free to chuck a comment in there and, and tell us. We'd love to learn. What's up, party people? This episode is brought to you by Auth0. Auth0 is a for developers, by developers identity platform built for the cloud era. They secure billions of logins every year. Identity is the front door of every user interaction and the login experience can make or break a user's first impression. Identity and authentication is never a set it and forget it thing. That means when teams decide to roll their own, they are taking on the full burden of constantly evolving industry standards, customer expectations, and data breach tactics. And they often don't have the time, expertise, or resources to meet those needs. This takes away from critical time needed to innovate and to improve their core product. Auth0 has solved this problem for every developer to give teams their time back and to make applications more secure. With Auth0 security, compliance, and industry standards, they're always up to date. Developers are free to provide the login options their users want with the security their application demands. Make login Auth0's problem not yours. Learn more at Auth0.com. Again, Auth0.com.
want to talk about what y'all found because that's like the pay dirt, right? At the end of the day, you put all the work in, you found a solution, you picked one. I want to talk about how you got there. But before we get into that, and of course the aggregate scoring will come into play, so stay tuned for the way these different solutions scored. But how do you even find the options? Because discoverability is a thing. And I mean, people are talking about Tailwind. I had never heard of Stitches. I think I've heard of vanilla extract, but had never clicked through it. I've heard of emotion. But how do you all uh, find solutions? Like, how do you collect ones? And maybe you say, eh, we're not going to check that one out. Is that like a, a thing that happens before you get to this stage? Is like, what are we actually going to try? I could take that. Um, I would say largely relying on others' experience, both in, within our team, but also uh, there's a lot of, like I mentioned, other research, people who have already done comprehensive assessments or um, comparisons of these different libraries. With CSS and JS, since it's you know become a thing, like over 50 libraries, how do you make that choice? How do you find something that is as strong as, uh, as SAS has become? But that, that comes back to that point of what seems to have a large community support, what seems to be well-liked, well-adopted. Um, when you like Tailwind out of the gate screamed at us simply just because it's been highly adopted and, and well-loved by a lot of other developers. So creating this list really was just, again, comparing what are our needs and then what solutions, you know, top 10, top 20 can we parse from real quickly and just see, do any of these fit the bill? Do these seem to be scoped well for what we're trying to achieve? Yeah, I mean, we have to be a, a little bit harsh at the start as well because there's, there's infinite number of solutions right now for this, uh, like what, <laughs> how should CSS get delivered to the browser? Like you could make something up even yourself if you wanted to. I'm sure someone's doing that right now. But we like we have to start with a bit of a baseline of like, if Shopify was to adopt this, like, would it disappear tomorrow? Like, if it's going to disappear tomorrow, we probably can't use this. Like, some opinions are a bit more fleeting or unused. So I think, like, tools that are widely used, like Tailwind, uh, like, that fills me with confidence because I don't think that's going to disappear anytime soon. If anything, it will evolve and it will just keep growing with the huge community behind it. Vanilla extract, however, is quite new, but it already is used in a few design systems, which we really love, um, which gave us more confidence. We could sort of explore and understand it. And um, it wasn't like a hugely technical project. Like if you dive into the code, like, yes, there are technical and challenging areas, but the things that it was doing were a lot simpler than other things, um, mainly maybe because it is a, a newish project. Like they haven't built maybe all of the different layers, for, like, or maybe they have, I don't want to talk for their team, but it made it a lot more, I'd say, accessible and easier for us to like look into those sorts of solutions. I'd also add, not looking at just the solution itself, but the characteristics of the solution was really helpful. So knowing that Tailwind was liked, is it because it's utility classes? Is it it's because it's atomic CSS? You know, what characteristics are loved because of, um, you know, like Chakra UI uses styled system and emotion. Why, why is it loved? Uh, what kind of those characteristics about these systems or about these technologies influences adoption? So that's kind of one thing that spoke to us as well, kind of help narrow down the choices. So let's get quantitative, shall we? We have some totals here at the bottom of this matrix. The first one is SAS. Of course, you got to score SAS because that's the that's the base case that you're comparing all these against. It scores a 37. So if you just take the list of 30 odd features that y'all listed and then the scores from zero to two for each feature, SAS totals up at 37. Plain old CSS scores a 39, which I thought was pretty nice. Tailwind a 44. Take note of that one because there will not be any higher than that. CSS modules 21. Stitches 32. Vanilla Extract, 38, and Emotion, 31. So what hops out to me right away, and maybe Divya, you caught on this as well, is Tailwind is the winner on the quantitative. But it's not what you all decided on, is it? Definitely. And I think like there's a few things going on. One, we were just a little bit lazy, and we did just, we totaled the whole table up. So that even includes like nice to have things, important things, maybe things that we don't care as much about. And I think it would have been interesting to like look at the scores from the essential and the important. So, I mean, it's not going to change it too much. There's only two columns in there, really. That would have changed things up. But I think also the numbers only mean so much. Like the numbers help us guide to like, 
we think like, you know, maybe we should look at these four things or maybe we should prototype with these four things. And that then helps us go and decide what we want to explore or dive a bit deeper in. And then we can from there make a better decision. And a decision that we ended up making was we want to explore using vanilla extract. And that's what we're doing right now is we're using this library to like explore and get a bit deeper. And I don't know, I think vanilla extract scored third on our list. So it's definitely not even the top two. But like, if we look at the top two, like Tailwind and CSS, CSS would have required us to either lose, and maybe lose isn't the wrong word, but it would have empowered teams to be a lot more flexible, but it would have made our job of, you know, maintaining and updating the design maybe a lot more challenging. Like if every team is writing their own CSS files and instead of using our spacing CSS variable, they just hard-coded 9.25 pixels, then we go in and change our spacing scale, which changes all of those variables. That would mean that we'd have to go back in and find all these hard-coded values. And as someone who's done that at a company like Shopify, not fun, like really not fun. It's really time consuming. You're jumping up across multiple code bases and repositories. So it would be great to like have that in a scalable way. I still think CSS is awesome though. Like the ability to just trust people and like give them that empowerment to like make the design decisions that they need to. I also love that. But there's a balance and we have to make a decision as a design system team, as a company of like, where does that balance sit? And Tailwind, like also another excellent solution, but there's just some like concerns that we have around like scaling Tailwind as a company at Shopify. Like we already have 20,000 SaaS files. I think it was 20,000, I mean 2,000. I can't remember off the top of my head. Let me double check. I'm probably, yeah, 2,000, 20,000 sounded way too large. So we already have over 2,000 SAS files. And I think that like if we were to use a library like Tailwind, things like the just-in-time compilation, we'd definitely want light and dark mode. We could have maybe 2,000 plus React files with those classes that it's auto-completing and adding to. It just feels like it's a risk right now to like invest in a product like that. Also, we don't know if Shopify wants to have more than just light and dark mode. And Tailwind right now has really strong support for light and dark mode. But as soon as you add a new color variant, like maybe you wanted a dim or a extra dark mode, that would then have to go and generate all the color CSS classes again. And that means that there's more just-in-time compilation and there's more CSS classes getting added to HTML. And it's not that we think that's necessarily a bad thing but like how we scale that and make sure that that doesn't turn into a big mess at Shopify is something we're concerned about so CSS variables that approach feels a lot more powerful and if we can have classes that we can override with CSS variables that empowers us to like move a lot quicker but Sam is there anything you wanted to add about the sort of like total scores yeah I would just say like this was only one one way of kind of parsing through our our observations and the attributes that we're interested in. You know, if we wanted to go be, I guess, a little less lazy and put weights to the different importance, like kind of like uh, have weights and, you know, what is a non-negotiable, what's something that's a nice to have, make these scores a little bit more refined, we could certainly do that. This was really more of just a, a scrappy way for us to kind of take the mental model of saying, what do these libraries have as a larger picture, kind of zooming out and putting them side by side. And really just being more data informed, giving some kind of objective criteria, it could be more accurate, right? But I think we kind of understood our requirements and, and by prototyping with them, you know, hands on, that was a lot more informative for us. But this was certainly a, a more objective way of looking at it. So yeah, again, I think, I think these scores could certainly be refined, but it definitely helps serve our purpose of assessing these solutions. Yeah, I was going to suggest that for an iteration on this, if you're going to steal it, and I would say at least wait the three categories so that the more important things get more scores and you probably would have a better reflection of the final decision. For example, in the discussion, you made it sound like TypeScript support was pretty important. It's in the important features section, but it just seems like in this representation doesn't seem like as much, maybe I read in too far, but it seemed like that was a pretty important thing. And a couple, this is kind of an all or nothing thing, like do you have it or not? And I think probably it might not be representative of how much it meant to y'all. Is that fair? That TypeScript support one's very interesting, I actually think, to pull out because I think like vanilla extract does something very special with TypeScript support that is different to the other libraries. Like when I think of TypeScript support for CSS, that just sounds weird. And that's like the special place to me where vanilla extract lives is as I create a grid component and I give it a gap value, 
I'm auto-completing instantly from a list of spacing tokens that come straight from our library of atomic styles. That's through TypeScript. And that is so powerful because I haven't had to add an extra feature. I haven't had to do anything to Visual Studio Code. I've literally just opened up this TypeScript project and it knows through the linked types that like this is auto-completing from these values. So when I think about TypeScript and CSS, like it's it's less so TypeScript and CSS. It's more like how can we get autocomplete into CSS? Or like how can we autocomplete from CSS our specific CSS variables that we've approved? And our team in the past, shout out to Andrew Musgrave, he wrote a full CSS variable linter where he would go and pass our code to like check if there were people using incorrect CSS variables or if there were typos. That's extra technical debt that we have to maintain. And it was an awesome solution at the time. But if this was just built into how we did styles, that would mean that we could sort of just ignore that completely, which is such a powerful thing. So I think that's a, a huge, exciting feature for me around like vanilla extract is I feel like this combination of TypeScript and CSS is something that I haven't seen before. And just as an aside, like I'm terrified of TypeScript. I'm terrible at TypeScript. If you give me some crazy like override or something like this, like I will be the first person to trip and stumble. But what I'm talking about here is a lot more like properties auto-completing with values that come from your tokens or come from your CSS variables. And that setup and that time that we invested as a team to get that set up is so worth it. And um, it just feels, as the person using that system now, it feels really great to like just easily see those values pop up and move quickly. But Sam, you know much more about TypeScript than I do. So I don't know, maybe you want to add something to that. I would just maybe add that it's not just giving values, really just hammering on the the design system values, right? Like really making it easy to and apparent, like what values uh, are part of the system. You know, a lot of these solutions have theming support, but I think what's really nice about something like vanilla extract is it it truly has like type support for both the design system values as well as like the atomic classes because uh, we, we mentioned vanilla extract with sprinkles that was kind of the nice thing about it is it kind of brought that tailwind factor into it um, we mentioned you could have like these intellisense third-party add-ons for typescript to autocomplete certain utility classes right we have autocomplete with theming support in a lot of typescript solutions css and js solutions but this really kind of combines those two worlds and it brings it to a technology that's already within our Shopify ecosystem. Like we've all adopted TypeScript. We don't have to add anything new. There's no extra server running to check or lint. So it's, it's kind of just meets us where we are in a way. So the vanilla extract team has to be happy. This is like they're on The Bachelor and they got the rose. You, know? <laughs> you fell in love. And Did the conversation with them have any impact on the decision at all? No, like we had never talked to their team until after they saw that we were using their product. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah, we would have loved to have talked to them beforehand. But like just as an aside, like we don't really want to bias our opinions like based on you know, talking to this team or another team. And I've talked to a few people that work at work at Tailwind, like Simon, um, who does all their videos. I'm a big, big fan of his work. And uh, I've hanged out with him a few times in person. That doesn't mean that I'm going to use this product, unfortunately, Simon. The reason we use that is because we actually explored it and wanted to, and then those connections opened up from that and sharing that research, which was really great. And in terms of them getting the rose, maybe, like, I, I think that, like, we as a company, like, want to invest in open source. We want to, like, collaborate with these, like, library maintainers to, like, help them get one like some attention like i definitely think the vanilla extract team deserves the attention like they're a team of three doing excellent things at like seek in australia to build like a design system and a whole bunch of tooling around it and if we can put a spotlight on the awesome work that they're doing and get other people to think about using it that not only benefits us it benefits them it benefits that community around that tool and that platform so yeah, I mean, maybe maybe they get the rose, but I, I I mean, I never saw it as that. Like, it was more like we needed a solution, and that seemed that seemed like a great solution. And if there's an outcome of that where they feel, I don't know, great that we chose that, I mean, that's awesome. But like, yeah, it wasn't necessarily our intention. Well, I think they definitely deserve the attention, and it's awesome that they were getting it now. Maybe, maybe Divya, maybe we should bring them on JS Party and give Vanilla Extract. Yeah, I was just thinking that like a like almost an extension of this episode, like a part two yeah. where we're like, hey, we need to talk to them just to get a sense of 
because it is a newer library and I think the usage is not super high at the at this point but you could definitely bring visibility to it <laughs> mm-hmm. stay tuned for that let us know listener if you are interested in that and I forgot Sam your last name is Rose so this was like the perfect analogy <laughs> it is I, I usually make those puns but I, I I saw it in my head I just didn't say anything it's like ah well you had better taste than I did. I have no shame. I'll just I'm just shocked that you used the bachelor as a metaphor. <laughs> I- <laughs> it's a cultural staple at this point. I mean, how long has that show been on? Probably like 20 years. But that's not the metaphor I would have reached for personally, I guess. But I'm just tickled that that's the one you used. <laughs> I, I liked it. I thought it was applicable. I was going to go with Survivor, but... You got booted off the island. Yeah, exactly. Kind of the other way around. So, guys, what's next? We're getting towards the end of the show, but what happens next for y'all? I mean, is it still kind of an experimentation phase? Are you starting to integrate vanilla extract into Polaris? Do you replace it one file at a time? Or what, what's the plan? So, I mean, I'll kick off. Like, we're, we're, like, exploring right now. So, I think the first step is, like, get this to a state where we can get other teams using it and then start getting feedback. So, our, our biggest goal right now is, like, get this into the hands of internal teams so that we can figure out what's working, what's not working and make this the product that's going to accelerate Shopify into the future. I think that we have a lot of work to do to like make sure that this is the right solution. Like we have roll-up tools right now that use vanilla extract and for us to use vanilla extract of roll-up, we have to have some kind of opinion on how we want to bundle those CSS files together. But maybe, Sam, you can take over because you, you know a lot more about sort of like the next steps from the technical side that we're going to be exploring. Yeah, you mentioned like migration strategies and adoption plans. That's kind of what we're really focused on now. Like now that we've seen the technology, we understand that this could be very right for Shopify and we think it can scale. We think it's really good for what we're calling like a foundational base to build upon. But again, making it easy to make those design system uh, choices and kind of adhere and flex the system, make it flexible for the the factors of whatever the products that we're delivering at Shopify. That adoption and rollout plan is kind of what we're working on now. So we kind of better understand the technology and now we're working with other teams within Shopify to integrate it into, you know, our common build systems and making sure that it's seamless and easy for vanilla extract to be used and understood across Shopify. Some of those reasons, like we mentioned, it is very similar to, to SAS and that it's like a .css .ts file and I can extract into a .css file, but it's used similar like CS modules, which we're already using today. So that adoption we do hope is going to be very smooth, but really just figuring out a lot of those technical details and getting the the build integrations kind of figured out. Awesome. Well, we're happy that y'all did this research in the open, in the public, and allowed our prying eyes to check it out and learn alongside you see how you made your decisions, what was important to you there, what you looked at, how you ranked it, so that we can go out and make our own decisions a little more informed than we would have otherwise. So pretty cool, guys. Uh, Sam and Alex, thanks for coming on JS Party and talking us through this entire thing. Of course, all of the links to all the things are in your show notes, especially that matrix is in there the discussion thread, and a link to each of the six solutions, I guess five, because can you link to CSS? We could find a way. We'll link to it somehow. Probably the MDN article uh, will be in your show notes, so you can check out all the different options that they checked out for yourself. Any final words, guys, before we call the show? Just a huge thank you. Thanks for like letting us come here and, and talk, and I'd love to see like the Vanilla Extract team on here and like sharing their... Uh, technology. I think they'll do a much better job than we did of like pitching or explaining the different ins and outs of it. Thank you so much. And it was a, you know, great to be on here talking about you know, open research and open source and design systems. So thank you so much. Yeah, just plus one. It's been a party. Thank you. You bet. Well, we definitely are interested in doing that episode. So let's make it happen. Stay tuned for that. Divya, thanks for being my co-pilot today. Happy to have you back. Good show good show. All right, that's Jay's party for this week. We will talk to you next time.
Let's Different JS Party. If you're curious about what's going on with OAuth 2.0 and what's next in OAuth 2.1, tune into the changelog episode 456 where Jared and I talk with Aaron Parecki, one of the maintainers of OAuth on that very subject. And if you're a fan of authenticating with Auth0, which you might be, tune into Founders Talk 78. I talk with Eugenio Pace, co-founder and CEO of Auth0. That episode is full of wisdom, inspiration, and tactical advice Eugenio used to build Auth0. We appreciate you listening and telling others about the show. Word of mouth is absolutely one of our favorite ways for people to learn about our pods. GS Party is produced by Jared Santo, occasionally mastered by me, Adam Stachowiak, with excellent beats produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. Also, thanks to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. When you support them, you support us. Make sure you come back next week for a conversation with David Korshid on X-State and State Machines. See you then.